Hey, good morning. Welcome to Bro Grace Peter John Corson here with you. Privileged to have this place here on KAPL. You know, grace and truth. You know what I'm referring to very likely. That in the Gospel of John, we are told that though the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, what I like about this, one of the things I like is that the term grace and truth, well, we have and, that little word and in our translations, don't we? There in John chapter one, grace and truth come to us through Jesus Christ. That's wonderful, but The fact is, as you probably know, you might know, that there was no and in such terms in the Greek language. No such word and. So it literally is grace, truth came to us from Jesus. He is full of grace, truth. The law was given through Moses, but grace, truth came through Jesus. First of all, I like the fact that the law was given. You can give the law, but grace, truth came. Right? You know what I'm saying there? Unearned, undeserved favor for all of us. You don't deserve it, but that is what it is for those who don't deserve it. Because grace is for the unworthy, all of us, therefore, all of us qualify. Look at this. I mean, you know what that means, right? Your disqualification is what makes or becomes your qualification. <laughs> The Lord is so good. So it says grace and truth, John chapter 1, came to us, not just given like the the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth, literally grace, truth. We might put it this way, true grace from Jesus came to us not just given to us. See, God's grace isn't just given to you as come to you through Jesus Christ. I think often if, if we're not aware of this, we begin to think of grace in terms of what God gives to us in terms of his blessings and answered prayers. And those are part of it, no doubt. But it's not just what God gives, it's who God is. It's simply Him. That's grace, truth, or true grace. 
Jesus himself. The Lord spoke to my heart a little bit (laughs) yesterday from John chapter 11. And it's about the story, the time, the account of when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. You're familiar with it. They're in Bethany. And and you know the story. I'm not going to delve into it too much because you know the story. But after Jesus raises him from the dead, he then tells Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, now to unwind Lazarus, unwrap him from those burial clothes, those grave clothes that Lazarus was in. So Jesus raised him up. But he still needed to be unwound or unbound. Jesus' words to them were literally, quote, unbind him and let him go. For his face was wrapped with cloth and his hands were bound with linen strips. For the man who had died had come out. (laughs) You see all the depth in that, don't you? Even though he had come out of the dead place, even though he had emerged from the grave, his hands were still bound. The grave's clothes were still on. His face was still wrapped up with it. And so it was this time, not the, quote, responsibility, end quote, of Jesus to unwind or unbind Lazarus, but the assignment was given to Lazarus's sisters. That reminds me of that old song, Lazarus Unwound. I remember we used to play that on K-Apple. I did, just to be facetious just so I could laugh while it was on. What a song that was. I can't remember who it was by. Do you remember, Scott? It was Carmen, wasn't it? Something, uh, that doesn't surprise me. I think me. it was Carmen, because okay. when I was a kid, I loved that song. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. I, yeah. I was laughing every time it was yeah. on uh, here on K-Apple. But Lazarus Unwound. Okay, so here we see, we read that Lazarus was not yet unwound, even though he had been risen from the dead. You ever, you ever want to unwind? Yeah, people say, buy me a drink. Or let's turn on the game. Oh, okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, there's an unwinding that needs to take place in me and you. And although Jesus raised us from the dead, no one else can do that. That is, give us eternal life. He uses your brother, your sister in the Lord just like he did for Lazarus and his sisters. He uses them in the Lord to help you unwind, to help me. Do you have that? If not, come out to church tonight. (laughs) Plenty of brothers and sisters, and we would love to help you, quote, unwind.
found this out the other day that cattle cows i.e. yummy steaks they're called ruminants ruminants and the reason they're called ruminates or ruminants ruminate ruminate same thing same spelling because they chew on the cud and they swallow it and then they bring it back up and they swallow it and bring it back up again and again that's what it means to ruminate and meditate that's what it means when you read the bible over and over or memorize the scriptures you chew on it swallow it as it were and then when you read it again, you chew on it again and again. Just like the cow in the field. That's what it means to meditate, to ruminate. 
See, Paul says correctly, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches. According not to the bank's riches or the economy's riches or Donald Trump's riches or your boss's riches or even your spouse's riches. According to his riches, my God shall supply. Now, those may be the instruments he uses, but those aren't the riches by which God is confined to. And when you ruminate, meditate on the scriptures, you are drawing from the riches of God and how he shall supply for all of your needs. Listen to what Job says. You know Job. Talk about a guy who was bankrupt financially. He had lost everything and nearly everyone that was important in his life. What a story. And Job says in Job 14, For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its roots will not cease. Though its root grows old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. Wow, Job. You're quite the gardener. The ecologist to know these things. But it's so true. There is always hope for a tree, even if it's cut down that if its roots are still in the earth, even if its stump dies in the soil at the scent of water, it will sprout new branches, Job says. Very good observation. Then he writes in the next verse or says, but a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last and where is he? Well, that goes along more of the theme of Job. But he still makes a true observation that we enjoy as reading his scriptures, the Bible, thousands of years later. And what is that? There is always hope for a tree, even if it seems dead and there is no hope. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud, as he says. He's correct. You know, do you ever feel like that? I do. What's that? Man, I'm cut down, either emotionally, psychologically, physically. Man, have I felt those things. Have you? I bet you have. But at the scent of water, it will bud. The dead places will come alive. Even if it seems like there's things are dead and there's no hope, yet at the scent of water, what's the scent of water? Jesus said in John 15, you are now clean through the word I have spoken to you. As the psalmist says, the word of God is like pure water. Even when I feel dead or things seem dead emotionally or relationally or psychologically or vocationally in your or whatever it might be, you open up the word of God and at the scent of water, you blossom. So come out tonight for Song of Solomon.
chapter 1. Music 
often gets a bad rap. No pun intended there. Well, maybe there is. But um, maybe I don't know much about the scene of Christian music, the the uh, labels and, and what have you, just the commerce of it. So I'm not speaking from experience in those terms. But Christian music gets a bad pub, a bad rap from from Christians for lots of reasons, um, you know, for limited artistry or what have you. But maybe it's valid. Maybe it's valid. I will say this, third day. <laughs> Song like we just heard, right? Maybe you agree. That's good stuff. It still gets out. Maybe not as much as one would like or one would accomplish had they been in charge of Christian music, but it still gets out. Your word, as the last song said. Speaking of his word, you know the parable Jesus spoke in Matthew 20 of the owner of the vineyard or the field that hires a different set of guys every few hours, right? And in this parable, well, it shows the purpose is that people who do not value these truths that he's speaking won't be exposed to it. Let me explain. There's the nine o'clock group in the morning. And there's no agreement. They just go out into the vineyard just based on his word. The owner of the field, he says, whatever is right, I will give you. There's no contract. Just whatever is right, I will give you that first group. And they go out and they went out just based on the promise. And, and the next group at the noon hour, they did the same. But then there was the third group, the five o'clock group. And they only worked for an hour, these guys. No one hired them, um, but he, all through the day, no one hired them, but he picks them up and brings them to the field and they work for one hour. So the nine o'clock group and the noon group work for several hours and these guys work for one hour. And then at the end, he pays them all the same, a denarius, a full day's wage. And so for that last group, they get the maximum profit for minimum input, don't they? They work one hour and they get a full day's wage. So the first group, they weren't happy with this. They wanted a contractual agreement. They bound the, the landowner, if you would. And he didn't shortchange them. He gave them what they asked for. What's that? One denarius. That's what they asked for. That's what they're expecting. He said, whatever is right, I will pay you. There was no contractual agreement, though, but he still paid them just what he said he would. And from that parable, Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. So many are called. What does that mean? 
Who are these that allow themselves to be chosen in the parable? Which group did not allow the landowner to demonstrate his generosity? It was the first group. They were demanding a denarius. They set the price, so to speak. And when you bargain with God, with the Lord, you limit him. Lord, if you give me a job at this place, then I will go to church next Sunday. <laughs> right? If you give me the, this girl, this love of my life to be my wife, we will read the Bible at least once a month. Right? Well, which group of those three did not limit the landowner? It was the third. They only went out on a promise. They only went out by his word. They didn't hold him up to a contract like the first couple groups tried to do. And as a result, he gave them what they didn't earn. Praise the Lord. Oh, Lord, give me what I don't earn. Please, Lord, give me what Jesus has earned. See, God will be more good to you than you could even ask or even think if you will allow him to. Many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Many are called to enjoy God's goodness, but few are those who trust in God's goodness. That's a difference. There are so many people that 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 uh, enjoy it, they admire it, they like the parts of it that they get, but there are only a few that are chosen that say, God, it's up to you. That's how I see that scripture, and I think it's a proper translation. Many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, they are aware that God is good to a certain extent. They're aware that God blesses to a certain extent, and and they enjoy it in many ways. But there are only a few who trust it. And I need to do that right now. So do you. Lord, I don't know why I feel like this in my body or I'm going through this financially. But not only am I going to enjoy your goodness, I'm going to trust your goodness. You know, I, this is rare, but have you ever planned something for your kid? You got kiddos, right? If you do, if you got kids, maybe if they're, uh, when, when they were little guys, right? And you plan something that they didn't even, maybe, in fact, the younger they are, the easier this is to do. Teenagers, not so much. But when they're little guys, you plan something for them that they didn't even think of. That's what God does for us. The kid just needs to trust the parent. Once a child puts the trust in the parent, you will do whatever it takes to keep that child safe, to have that child have fun more than that child even knows. How much more with God? Just as the kids trust the parent, then they step out 
So do you trust God? But we are so slow to believe, so slow to believe God is good. It's so hard for us to believe that God is good. Not his fault, ours, but when you choose to believe it. Here's an example. There's this crab. I'm not talking about a grumpy person called the Madras crab. Maybe you've heard of it. It's in, it's in India. And this crab, it's, it's a crab. If you put these, if you catch these crabs like they do, they put these Madras crabs in this, these baskets, these wicker baskets. And these crabs are in this basket and they stay in there without, get this, you might know this. There's no lid on the basket. You don't have to put a lid on it to keep them in there. Because when, here's the thing, when one crab climbs out or tries to climb out of the basket, right? The woven basket, another crab will always pull it down. (laughs) So they just take care of themselves. And so too, if I can make that as an example. <laughs> how you see God not only affects how you receive from God, but how far you're going to go. I mean, if you're like those crabs, you're always going to get dragged down thinking you're going to drag other people down thinking they can't be blessed. They're like this. They can't do good or have good or whatever. They're like that. And you drag people down and they'll do the same to you. Once you put grace in the equation, boom, you're free. Nothing, no one is going to drag you down. And just as important, you will drag no one else down. Oh, that's what I want. Lord, don't let me be a drag. Help me to enter grace, your unmerited undeserved favor into the equation in any relationship and in any way I see myself rather than dragging people down and allowing others to drag me down. See how that works? Maybe you do. Here's my hand, Lord. I trust you. Speaking of grabbing, remember Jacob? The patriarch Jacob, way in the book of Genesis, he grabs on to that old man, the angel of the Lord. Not an old man, a good man, I should say. He's grabbing on. He says, I'm not letting go. Hold on to the Lord. Don't let go. He will work everything together for the good. Just to find what I've become 
thought that I'd find something beautiful or some trophies that I want a little better than I was before but still I'm rotten to the core without your sweet sweet devil will definitely try to trip you up by diluting how gracious God is in your thoughts. He will. Just as the serpent did in the Garden of Eden. Now, here's the thing. Today, in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, a half a cent, 
there is an overemphasis on Jesus's humanity. Not, not for me to underemphasize his humanity. I don't, I don't want to be uh, treading on that ground at all. But there's old heresies that seem to be cropping up in, in some of the sections of our culture today where Jesus is really respected, but the problem is emphasized as a human. Good man, good teacher, good rabbi, enlightened, so on and so forth, but not God, not the son of God. And as Christians, we recognize, believers of the gospel realize If only the stripes of a good man or a good teacher, then those stripes are not going to heal us, are not going to save us. But if those stripes are on God-made flesh, then our own healing is in the proportion to the quality of that Savior, of that Son of God. The fact that he died Some might wonder, how can one man die for the whole world, right? Well, John says, not only did he die for the whole world, or for us, I should say, but for all the world who would ever live. He died for them. How can he do that unless he is eternal and the son of God? In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is teaching, doing miracles, and the folks there in Galilee said, Where did this man get these things? They didn't believe in his hometown. To them, he was just a man. Where did this man get these things? They acknowledged he was a great teacher. He worked miracles. But as far as they were concerned, he was just a man. Think about that. Even Jesus' own brothers and sisters who had their own families when he grew up. They doubted him. Not as they, they realized he can do miracles, maybe, or he's got wonderful things to say, perhaps, but where did this man get these things? And so, in those hometowns, those Galilean towns of Jesus, just a few were healed. He marveled at their unbelief. If you don't honor God's son, he will not honor you. <laughs> See? So, now going back to the name of God, it's important to know that Yahweh, the name of God, is the holy name of God displaying his covenant relationship with his people, starting in the lifetime of Abraham, moving through the ministry of Moses, and now for us in the church. But the first name Yahweh is ever mentioned is Adam and Eve. You know that, right? There in Genesis chapter 1, it simply says, In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth, as you know. That was one of the verses we memorized when I was a kid. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Good one to memorize. He's Elohim in that verse. 
which is the plural form of God. Literally, gods. Doesn't mean that there are many gods. It means God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we believe. And then, in the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 2, you have this phrase, the Lord God. So it goes from simply Elohim or God in chapter 1. In chapter 2 now, it's the Lord God. It's literally Yahweh Elohim. So you have this addition. Why? Because here's why. In chapter 2, now, man has been created and God is going to have a covenant with him and that covenant name won't simply be Elohim but Yahweh man has now come on the scene and now God says I can have a covenant with him he is Elohim to the whole world but he's Yahweh to you and Yahweh to me Yahweh is his name Elohim is his title Yahweh is who he is. It's interesting. I am is who he is. Jesus in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. That's the English version, but the Greek translation from which it comes. Jesus is Yeshua, which simply means Yahweh saves. So you go from Yahweh to Yahweh Elohim in chapter 2. Then you have chapter 3, right? Dun, 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 the big fall, right? This is where the devil comes and tricks Adam and Eve, just like he comes and tries to come against our minds. It's interesting, too, when the serpent speaks, he can only use the name Elohim. He never says Yahweh or Yahweh Elohim. You cannot use that covenant term, see? And people are always talking about God these days uh, around the world, on TV, in books. The question is, which God are they talking about? Because even the serpent can talk about Elohim, but it's the child of God that's able to finally call him Yahweh through Jesus Christ. I mean, the Bible even says that the the name of God, every demon trembles. I shouldn't even say the name of God, just that the presence of God. But it's the name of God, I should say, Yahweh, that's the power to save. So Satan, the serpent, never said Yahweh. He always said Elohim when he's saying, so are you sure the creator said this? And then sadly, Eve responds by saying, Elohim says this and that. She didn't say Yahweh. May God not just be your Elohim, but may he also be your Yahweh, the Lord who saves. The name of Jesus, Yahweh saves. It's interesting that, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, 
that Pilate put upon the cross the name Yahweh. Right? Remember that? And Jesus' critics, the ones that had him crucified, the scribes and Pharisees say, take that off the cross. You can't put that on there. And Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. You remember that, right? Yahweh. On the name of the cross. I was, I am, I will be, literally, is what Yahweh means. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. The God who died for you and I. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
the name Yahshua, right? You, you know what the name Yahshua, what we say Jesus means. Yahshua, Yah, Yahweh, right? Yahshua, Yahweh saves. That is the name of Jesus. And so, as I mentioned last segment, there on the cross, Pilate had put that placard there that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. I mentioned last segment, Yahweh. You're thinking, wait a minute. It says Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And yet, Pete, you were saying last segment that it was Yahweh on the cross. Well, it's both. You see, you take the first letter of Jesus, Nazareth, King, and Jews. Remember, no little prepositions there of. It's simply the beginning letter is Y-H-W-H. The Tetragrammatron. Yahweh. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Yahweh. His cross placard declared. And that's why they were saying to Pilate, change it. Because they saw that in the Hebrew, it said that. And they were incensed. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. It's a done deal. Yahweh. So today, I want you to know that your estimation of a huge, benevolent, powerful God will determine that you will receive from that powerful God. That those aren't just a good man's stripes. They are God's stripes. That's why I'm going to be healed. And so are you. You don't have to be a hostage to your past any longer. Your past doesn't have to impact your present or future. Why? Because Yahweh died for your sins. Isn't that beautiful? I think it is. I know you agree. And we won't misunderstand who Jesus truly is. And he says, put me at the center and it will begin and end with me. Put me in the center of your day. Put me in the center of your marriage, of your church. It will begin and end with me. I am Alpha Omega, beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am Yahweh, says Jesus. And for that, we praise his name. And for that, we gather tonight at the seven o'clock hour to praise the name of Yahweh, to praise the name of Jesus. Thank you for tuning in. I'll talk to you tomorrow. You can get 
the podcast on iTunes if you want. But even if you don't, God still loves you. God bless.